Welcome to Max and Murphy. We are bringing this podcast to you because of some technical difficulties on our radio show last week. We want very much to hear from as many candidates as we can in these exciting 2021 races, including the very important race for New York City Comptroller. And so very pleased to be joined by one of the Democratic candidates for that post. It's Democratic State Senator Kevin Parker of Brooklyn. He's represented the 21st District there since 2003. He is the Majority Whip and the Chairman of the Committee on Energy and Telecommunications. Senator Parker, welcome to Max and Murphy. Thanks for having me on, Murphy. In fact, I think that after this, you should be you know, walking around introducing me everywhere. I love it. <laughs> I say a little, little moonlighting, always happy for some extra income. So. Yeah, there you go. We can take that offline. Um, but so let's talk about the job of Comptroller that you're running for. Obviously, this this job has some different features from other jobs. There's a heavy financial kind of component to it. Um, how do you see it as unique? Why do you want it? And why do you think you're the best man for it, best person for it? Yeah, well, you know, this is a unique time that we're in, um, in the midst of a pandemic where we are both, you know, people are fighting for both their lives and their livelihoods. And I think this is an opportunity to take, you know, my 18 years of service in the Senate, you know, my leadership, and what most importantly, the vision that I have for this city uh, to another level. And I think, you know, time more than now, um, do you need somebody with my kind of experience? You know, born and raised in Brooklyn, um, you know, lived in NYCHA and in, in the Bushwick houses, um, went to public school my whole life. And so I have a lot of the experiences that regular New Yorkers have. But I, on top of that, I've spent a lot of time working in public service and working, um, you know, in finance, including um, for the first governor Cuomo and his economic development agency, worked on Wall Street uh, for Payne Weber, worked at the state controller's office under H. Carl McCall. And for the 18 years that I've been in the state Senate, I have been on the finance committee over a decade on the banking committee, over a decade on the insurance committee. And so that work, I think, has uniquely prepared me for the challenges that New York face. Um, and I really kind of you know, want to be at the forefront of helping New York sort this up, but more importantly, help us grow in an equitable, equitable, equitable fashion. So 18 years in Albany, what stands out to you as top accomplishments, the things you're proudest of? I would say um, flipping the Senate twice. Right, I've been part of, of you know a few of us who have uh, you know you know who turned this body from a Republican party to a Democratic party. Um, and at the end of the day, you know that has made all of the difference in the ability for us to do things like rent control, um, codify a woman's right to choose. Has made a lot of difference in terms of you know the work we've done on democracy reform uh, in this state um, and, and the work we've helped around uh, gay and lesbian, you know, uh, folks, as well as um, police reform and dealing with the, those issues. And so um, I think that that, that good, good politics has led to good policy in the state of New York um, because of, of, you know, my work and the work of my colleagues. I'm curious. I mean, some people might wonder, having having suffered through years in the wilderness there in the minority, uh, obviously, when you came to office under even a Republican governor, Republicans in control of state Senate, as they had been for like 40 or 50 years, oh. a brief shot of the majority. Obviously, the coup scuttled that. And then, you know, finally winning the majority for in a solid fashion in 2018. And, and now it has become a supermajority. It, it seems to me now would be a time for you to get a lot of your legislative wish list done, get a, a tremendous amount done in Albany. Um, I, I wouldn't want to leave. Why, why do you, why do you want to, why, why are you looking for another job? It seems to be like the, the, the salad days are here. Well, I've never stopped being with the past legislation. In fact, I've led the Democratic Senate 
uh, even when we're in a minority in passing legislation. And in fact, last year in 2020, during the pandemic, I passed more legislation than anybody else in the state legislature in both houses, right? I passed 40 bills out of the Senate, 21 went to the governor, 20 became law. And so I've had a great deal of, of expertise doing that. Um, and, I've, and I expect to pass more this year. Um, but I really just think that this is now a, a kind of unique and important time. Um, we have a lot of great new young people um, you know, joining the state legislature. And, you know, I think we're in, in good hands here, but I, I certainly uh, am concerned about the fiscal health of our great city, which is both the primarily economic engine of not just the state of New York or this region, but the entire country. And I, again, I think I'm uniquely qualified uh, for this position. And so that's why um, I'm seeking um, to become the new city controller. So assess what you see as the city's fiscal condition now. And obviously in the present, we're in the middle of, of, of an emergency. But talk a little bit about the past and the future. In, in terms of the past, you know, did the city do enough to prepare for, you know, fiscal shocks like this? Did we, did we sock enough money away? Did we spend too much money during the de Blasio years? And looking ahead, you know, do you feel like the finances of the city have permanently changed by this crisis with people maybe not coming back to the office, people maybe not coming back to the city? You know, what do you see as the risks long-term to the city in terms of its debt, its obligations? What does the picture look like to you? Yeah, the great questions. Well, first, I think that there was no way to kind of prepare for this kind of pandemic. This is like, you know, once in, in a century uh, type phenomenon, right? And so I thought the city had been as prepared as it could have been for any kind of major event. And when you look at the financial health of the city, it's not spectacular, but it's certainly um, not, you know, so earth shattering that we can't figure it out. We're in a, a, a position where I think we can figure it out. I think that the way that people are thinking about how we get out of it, though, is important. You'll hear people talking about, you know, stimulus from the federal government, which we're going to need. People are talking about ultra millionaires tax from the, from the state government and gambling and, and you know, um, cannabis proceeds, which I think all will probably be in effect and be important for our state and our city. Um, but we're not going to tax our way out of this, this situation. We're really going to need to, you know, grow our way out of it. And it's really by creating full-time jobs at a living wage with benefits in the economy that has moved from Wall Street to Main Street. And so it's small business development. Um, and I'm excited even, you know, today we're going to be actually passing a um, package of bills on the floor of the state uh, Senate around small businesses. And I'm so excited, you know, to have been uh, part of that conversation because that's literally what we're going to need to do in order to um, rebuild our city and, and grow it to, to where it needs to be. Um, and hopefully we can do it in an equitable, equitable, equitable way. Um, and now I think as I look forward to where um, I think we will be, I think if we do it right and we invest in our communities and we invest on our main streets, if we put small businesses back into effect, we can create a dynamic where the city is even in better economic straits than it was prior to the pandemic by allowing all boats to rise together. Part of what, you know, this pandemic has revealed is a terrible inequity in, you know, in our society. You know, as progressive as we think New York State and New York City is, um, what we found is that when the pandemic hit, that it hit lives and livelihoods in a way that create that, that showed the disparities that already existed, right? And so you saw African-Americans and Latinos 
you know, dying and being and getting sick at a rate much higher than whites. Um, and then you saw that same dynamic in the context of the closing of small businesses and businesses that may not return. Now, I do expect that over time, this city uh, will be, you know, as bustling as it, as it once was. Um, and But, you know, I think that even the people who have left is not crippling to the city. I mean, the, the reality is the vast majority of the people, you know, in the city live in Brooklyn, Queens, and the Bronx. And when you go to those places, they're still packed, they're still full, and those people need jobs, and, they, and they're ready to go back to work. People in New York don't want a handout. They want a hand up. And that's what we should be doing in government, is putting them in position to take advantage of market forces. And we should be creating dynamics in which market forces are strong enough to carry our economy up the way we've done in the past. And so um, some of that will be done through MWBE and through some public works projects. Um, but there's some basic things we can do just to, to make the, the, the market stable. Um, and some of what I like to do in the city controller's office is do a lot more work around bolstering um, small businesses around two things. One, access to the capital. And the second thing is uh, technical assistance. You know, we have people who know how to run restaurants, you know, or know how to cook food, don't know how to run restaurants. People could build a table, can't sell furniture. Um, and those people need access to capital. And we and and I think there's a real opportunity to do that in a couple of ways. One of which is build out, is use my office to help build out an infrastructure around access to small business um, resources, um, as well as access to capital, but then also within the context of the pension fund to make sure that we're investing in companies that are investing in New York, right? And so although making profits for the, for the pensioners is job one, I don't see that as being mutually exclusive from finding great opportunities to make capital um, investments in the city. And so we really have to you know, do, do you know, walk and chew gum at the same time. And I know one priority, at least from your campaign website, is improving the compliance at the city level with some of the goals around uh, minority and women businesses, uh, NWBEs. What would your approach to those be and how can the comptroller help? Yeah, I think there's, there's kind of two approaches. The first has, a, again, sticking on the, on the theme around the pension fund is that, you know, this is a city that is over 60 percent black, Latino, Asian and women and less than two percent of the people who actually and best who, who, are, who have money under management in the pension fund come from those groups. We have to change that. We have to make the pension fund more equitable in terms of the people who have access to managing that money. That's going to, in fact, create a financial infusion uh, into our city and into our communities, right? Um, I think the second thing is obviously, um, I don't want people to fall into the, you know, what I call the Dunkin' Donuts maneuver. Right. People always looking at the hole and, and not at the donut. The reality is that we have a 90 billion dollar budget in the city of New York. It's the fourth largest budget in the entire country after the federal after the federal government, the state of California, and the state of New York. And in fact, the city of New York has a budget larger than 48 states, including Texas and Florida, which have populations that are larger than the state of New York. And so it's an incredible amount of money. We also have the largest city in, in the world. I'm sorry, in the, in the country, even after you know, we account for all the people who have, you know, gone to other places, we're still the largest city in the country. And that's really our our greatest investment and our greatest asset is, is our people. And so there's really a, an opportunity to take that $90 billion budget and use it in a way. So next year, even with, you know, whatever we call the, the deficit, you know, 3 billion, 5 billion, 6 billion, 
we're still going to spend around $90 billion. Over $20 billion are still going to be um, contracted out. And so we need to make sure that Blacks, Latinos, Asians, and women who are against over 60% of the population of the city get their fair share at that over $20 billion worth of investment that we're making and to make sure that we're doing it in a way that's, again, equitable and that people have uh, an opportunity, um, you know, at, at, again, lifting their own lot by, you know, providing for the city um, and making a living for themselves. Because one of the things we find out is that when African-Americans have their own businesses and they grow, they actually hire other African-Americans. Latinos hire other Latinos. Asians hire other Asians. Women hire women, right? And so and, and so the reality is, um, you know, that's the way that we are going to have to deal with the issue of labor market discrimination. Because the reality is, even though we, we live in the shadow of Wall Street, Wall Street is not in the fire industry, right? Finance, insurance, and real estate are not going to resolve all of our issues. Although simultaneously, we ought to be preparing people for those jobs as well, right? And so um, I think it's going to be an all of the above approach. And I think that, um, but we have to begin and we have to begin with small businesses and always have our focus on equitable equi- um, equity as we as we go forward and, and repair our economy and grow our city back. You talked a lot about ways to use the power of investment of the office and the pension funds to do good. Obviously, one of the decisions that's been brought to recent comptrollers is when to do the opposite, when to divest from particular companies or industries, whether it's firearms or um, private prisons or on the largest scale fossil fuels. You never know what's going to come down the pipe. If you're elected, advocates may come to you in two or three years and say, look, we think the city should get out of industry X. How will you evaluate uh, requests like that, understanding your sort of moral role in the city and also your you know, duty to the, the pension funds and to the pension recipients in terms of guarding their fiduciary best interests? Right. When it comes to the, with the pension fund, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. Right. Like the first job is to, in fact, make money for the pensioners and to make sure that we don't have to, you know, go into the pockets of taxpayers to pay, you know, to pay pension funds. Right. So that's the first job. But I don't again, don't think that that is mutually exclusive from the idea of having a pension fund that reflects the values um, and the feelings of the people of the city of New York and the pensioners themselves who want to see, you know, a better world. Right. As the chair of the Energy and Telecommunications Committee, for instance, I've spent a lot of time um, dealing with the issue of of how do you build a clean energy economy? And I think that this actually falls in line with how we rebuild the city, right? Um, You know, know, green collar jobs are gonna be absolutely critical in terms of how do we, again, create full-time jobs at a living wage with benefits. And we can do that and simultaneously um, manage a, a pension fund properly. Uh, that obviously needs to be done within the context of a trust, uh, you know, the board of trustees, um, because the, the city controller is not a sole trustee. He's, he's he, you know, that person is just a member of the board. Uh, well, chairs the board, but, you know, is a member of the board and has to um um, manage those those five pension funds collaboratively, and I'm committed to that process of, of, of working with the other trustees to, in fact, you know, do that important work. Um, but I think that we have to, you know, follow the, the, the numbers and follow the science. Um, it's not as black and white as simply just saying, okay, divest. So you take a company like National Grid, which provides, you know, uh, gas to the city, right? Um, and a lot of people will consider gas because it creates carbon as something we should eliminate. I agree. I also think that it was, it's, a, it's a bridge fuel between today and the time that we get to a place where we are, you know, carbon neutral, 
Right. And so um, and so, you know, you have to kind of understand that balance. The other thing is that National Grid is also the largest single uh, sustainable energy provider in the entire state of New York. So are you going to get rid of this large utility scale, s- sustainable energy and throw the baby out with the bathwater? Those kind of things we have to balance and weigh and understand um, how do we work with companies. I think also our role as an investor also gives us a lot of say in companies. And so it may not be necessarily a matter of just divesting, um, but it's sometimes a matter of helping those companies move with the times and, and move to a model that continues to make money for those companies and for the pension fund, but then simultaneously operate in a way that New Yorkers um, feel, feel like, you know, is, is consistent with their values. Now, there are going to be some times in which you think that, you know, we're going to need to do, um, we are going to need to divest. In fact, I put in a, a bill uh, last week uh, in the state Senate that, that says that we should be divesting ourselves from any, you know, you know, any business or that 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 Donald Trump is involved in um, or any bank that, that's doing business with Donald Trump or his businesses. Anybody who who uh, encourages sedition in our country certainly should not be making a profit off of that and certainly shouldn't be using, uh, you know, state and city pension funds um, to to enrich themselves. And so um, and so I think there are going to be some times in which we're going to really, again, um, figure out how to do that. And again, I don't think it's as crass as just saying today we're invested and then tomorrow we're not. But there's, there's processes that we're going to need to go through in order to divest ourselves um, from the things that we think are inconsistent with what New Yorkers want to see uh, in their investments. Your platform talks about a desire to fund evidence-based programs that prevent New Yorkers from turning to crime rather than spending the money on traditional policing. That's obviously a topic a lot of folks have talked a lot about in the past year. How does the comptroller encourage that? Is that about just suggesting things? Is that something direct you could do? Well, first of all, I've been one of the leaders in this whole state on the issue of police reform. And in fact, um, the state of New York was the first state in the country to pass a comprehensive set of police reform legislation after the murder of George Floyd. Um, We passed a 10 bill package of those 10 bills. Four of those bills were mine, including a bill that... um, you know, created a penalty for false 911 reporting, right? And a bill that, that created a body camera program for state police, right? Since then, I've written 15, 15 other bills, including bills that, um, you know, restrict qualified immunity, that define excessive use of force in the law, um, and that creates a non-police response to homeless and mental health calls. And I, you know, I expect to continue to, to be, um, continue to be active um, on the legislative front. I expect to have a very, you know, as city controller, to be somebody who has a very strong um, government affairs office in both Albany and City Hall to make sure I'm involved in the legislative process. Currently, the city controller is the only, you know, office of the mayor, the public advocate, um, who who cannot introduce legislation. I would love to work with the city council and maybe, you know, change if we got to, you know, make a charter change in order to make that happen so that 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 can be somewhat of a, of a legislative function by the city controller's office. I think that would be uh, really important because I think there's lots of things that we can be doing um, and collaborating on. But in the meantime, I will do what I've always done, which is collaborate with my colleagues, both on the state level and the city level to pass legislation that's going to be important. Um, one of the other things I will do immediately also is, is you know, is um, 
audit the police department. I think that it's worth doing, not because I want to defund them, but because I really want to understand how they operate and figure out what are the best ways that we can get a bang for a buck. I think that, um, you know, what we need in our, in our NYPD is more transparency, more accountability, and I want them to serve and protect, but I want them to do so with dignity and respect. And so, um, you know, I think the audit function um, will help us get to that conversation in a, in a, in a real way and where some of these um, um, initiatives that myself and others, both in Albany and the city have put forward can actually get implemented. And we can have really the finest police force, not just the largest police force in the, in the country, but the finest police force in the country as well. So over the course of your long career in public service, there have been a lot of headlines about Kevin Parker, but some of them have been about incidents in the distant past and not so distant where um, you seem to be very, you, you got very angry um, and exchanges with fellow legislators, others in the Capitol. Uh, is, is, do you have an anger problem? Is, is that an issue that people have some concern about? I don't think so. Um, and let me let me be clear. If you if you go through you know section by section, what you'll you'll find is you know there were you know things that needed to be done when in fact um, you know you only had thirty two members of the state senate. You know, and I was the majority whip, and I've been the majority whip under three leaders and for over ten years. Right? Um, you know, there's probably and no one who's been both the majority whip and um, minority whip as long as I have been in the legislature and, and done the kind of work I have. Um, and so if you want to, you know, look at my disagreement with my good friend, Diane Savino, when she was a member of the IDC and, you know, addressing that or the issues with Reverend Diaz and addressing him. And we know, you know, what kind of record he has with people like Carl Kruger and, you know, who eventually winds up in jail. So again, when you, when you look at, when you drill down and, you know, you know, the specific instances they're they're very, very, uh, you know, very different than what people have categorized them uh, uh, for. So, um, but let me just say this, you know, I've been office 20 years. I'm not the same person I was 20 years ago. Um, and I've learned a lot about um, how to deal with my, my issue, you know, my, um, my colleagues and how to address issues in a very different way. But I'm very clear, you're not gonna change the world with a whisper. And so, you know, I, I come to uh, the job as city controller with the same passion that I've, you know, come to the state Senate with. And that, that passion and all that time and whatever issues people wanna talk about, not once did anybody ever question my commitment to my job, uh, to, to the Democratic Conference of the State Senate. Um, I am the person who they lean on when, when uh, you know, things need to be resolved, you know, particularly, you know, with the Republicans. Um, but simultaneously, I'm the person, member who who's passed more bills in the minority than any other Democratic member, right? So, so even though, you know, I might have been the Democratic enforcer, I also was somebody who you know, understood the relationship side of, of dealing with people, you know, on the other side of the aisle. Um, and I'll continue to, again, have that that same kind of perspective in terms of, um, you know, working with colleagues and understanding um, how to bridge the gap, but also how to be, you know, firm uh, in the moments in which, um, you know, firmness is required. So final question, um, Abe Beam, Jay Golden, Alan Hevesy, Bill Thompson, John Liu, Scott Stringer have two things in common. They were all city comptrollers and they all either ran for or are running for mayor. Uh, so I have to ask, obviously it is commonly a stepping stone to that. Uh, do you think you'll run for mayor at some point? 
let me just win this election first. I mean, you know, who knows what, what God has planned. Um, it is my intention in this moment to become city controller of the city of New York and to serve the people um, as well as I can and, and to, in fact, um, build the city and grow the city uh, to a greatness that hasn't seen yet. State Senator Kevin Parker, Democrat for City Counterum, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.